Good morning, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. Today, I have on a super awesome guest, but before we get into that, I have some merchandise for sale. If you really would like to support the podcast, I have these stickers, and I have a shirt and hoodie coming out with the logo on the front and the first 50 guests on the back, including Miss Nina DeVitri. Nina is a versatile, multi-instrumentalist singer and songwriter with the storytelling of a folk-inspired songwriter yet the soul and allure of a voice rooted in jazz. Weaving influences ranging from Amy Winehouse and Stan Getz to the modern Lake Street Dive, she manages to create a sound that is both soulful and refreshingly unique. Evident through her appearances on stages ranging from the Philadelphia Folk Festival to the Lancaster Roots and Blues, Nina's eclectic sound suits a variety of occasions. She has won international acclaim as a two-time jazz category finalist in the John Lennon International Songwriting Contest and a jazz category finalist in the Unsigned Only Competition. In addition to her commitment to her musicianship and creative projects, she feels deeply connected to her role as a music educator and has been teaching private lessons on the violin, viola, piano, guitar, and voice for more than eight years. In recent years, she has also been widening her horizons as a side musician, performing with friends on the fiddle, mandolin, and keyboard. Nina enjoys continually exploring her relationship to music, whether it's through developing her own musical ideas, sharing her love of musical students, or supporting friends on their musical projects. You can find her on her Facebook page, Nina DeVitri Music, on Instagram, at Nina dv and on spotify nina how are you doing today i'm doing great thank you so much for having me Corey. yeah so what was it as a kid that got you into music was it your your family is all into music right yeah yeah i would say they are all into music um so this is always hard one to answer because it's just it runs so deep um i would say i just grew up around music i'm the youngest of four siblings and my dad, um, he's always played a ton of music. He's been in various bands. Um, he was never formally trained, but he just picks up instruments and plays them. And my mom sings a bit, plays some guitar. Um, and all of my siblings um, started taking music lessons in school. And so as a tiny little child growing up, I was just surrounded by people playing instruments and um, we used to have these bonfires where we would have my parents' friends would come over. They'd bring their kids, and we'd all hang out around the fires, and they'd play old-time music, which is fiddle music um, from the Appalachian Mountains, um, and bluegrass and old Americana songs. And, you know, my dad would sit around with his friends and jam, and my friends and I would lay in our sleeping bags and fall asleep listening to this music and um yeah, it's been around ever since I can remember, and um, my parents were always taking us to, um, you know, old-time and bluegrass festivals mm. growing up, so I don't remember ever missing a year of this one in West Virginia called um, Cliff Top. It's an Appalachian string band music festival. Um, they don't even have, like, bands headlining there. You just go camp in the woods at the state park, and you jam, and there's square dancing, really? And um, they have contests, and that's what people sit and watch all weekend. You know, there's gotcha. fiddle contest, banjo contest, all, all that stuff. So um, I would say I was just kind of born into music. Um, 
and couldn't couldn't deny it, you know, was just right. surrounded by it and have always loved it so much. So at what point do you think that you decided that you were going to be a part of it and start making your own music? So apparently when I was about four years old, I started begging my parents to play the violin. And apparently I said, I want to play violin so I can fiddle around the campfire with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> which I I love that I said that, apparently. I don't remember, but that's what they say. So um, my mom got me started on Suzuki violin when I was five, which is a, a method that, um, you know, a lot of really little kids do. It's designed to sort of start you by ear, and then you end up learning how to read music after that. It's, you know, it's just a specific method of learning that smart. Um, it is yeah. – you know, within like the classical realm, but my other siblings had started later in school, but I was like raring and ready to go at age four. So my mom was like, okay, when you're five, we'll, we'll get you started. <laughs> so that's when I started taking violin lessons. That's cool. So uh, how long did you stick with the violin for? <laughs> well, that's kind of a funny story. I, I remember like as soon as I started, I didn't have a very big attention span <laughs> and I... I made it to my twinkle recital and I was like, mom, I want to quit. And I knew I didn't want to quit music. I just knew I didn't have like the energy in me at that time to like do the lessons. And um, so I took a little break from the violin. I started piano when I was seven a year later. And then I restarted violin in third grade through school mm. with um, Elizabeth Lavender, who is an amazing music educator in Lancaster um and so she you know was the orchestra director for all of my siblings at Farmdale Elementary School and um so she she taught me then throughout elementary school in the Hempfields program oh in Hempfield mm -hmm. okay um so did you also pick up viola at that time as well or so viola I didn't really play until later but um it's pretty much the same thing to play viola as violin you know it's just the strings are mm -hmm. a little bit lower but they're tuned also in fifths so it just has a c string and it doesn't have the highest e string that a violin has um so in high school when i started teaching private lessons um i ended up teaching both violin and viola just because the technique is so, so much similar. the same okay. yeah i don't really like I actually don't even own a viola, but you can pretty much get away teaching on a violin with really? viola. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. I wonder, because I started learning uh, violin recently. So I wonder oh. if I could. Well, because I, as a music composer, I wanted to be able to understand each instrument mm -hmm. and their uh, limits. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because I know uh, some, I've written string stuff before, and I've given it to string players, and they're like, Corey, you're going to kill us. <laughs> It's like way up in the stratosphere or like uh it's a lot of slides actually. Oh. A lot of double stop slides. And that I thought were possible because they were fifths apart. Yeah. Or fourths apart. But I just didn't understand the fingering technique oh my gosh, that they would yeah. need to have. That's like some the craziest like box stuff you'll ever find. It's like these double stops. Well it was like... it was a lot of folk stuff, right? Because, mm. you know, any fiddle player uh, worth their salt can do a, a slide and a half. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come, come to Nashville. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, um, have you ever uh, seen Robin Chambers at all? Yes. Like She's her. For, exactly. Like, 
and that's and that's what I was uh, had been exposed to, and I was like, and these classical musicians were like, no, that's not possible. It's like I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be done. That's awesome. So um, I, I just want to learn. And granted, I'm, I don't expect to be the the best fiddle player or violin player. And what's the difference between a fiddle and a violin? Is it just the well, way you play it? I don't know if this is a okay joke for this radio station, but my dad always says. Fiddle smells like beer. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're at a festival and you're like, it's it's different than like the the classical camps you go to. And, you know, you're just like outdoors usually playing the fiddle. It's the same instrument, but it just often gets exposed to the elements more. You know, gotcha. you're camping, you keep it in your car, so it's a little you're more jamming, rougher. and it's it's really the style. Not the instrument itself. That's what I. Th- that's what I figure. But I keep hearing it as if it's a different instrument completely. Yeah. Um. It's just similar, and and that's so. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad I know that for sure. That is just the style, not not the instrument, because that used to confuse me all the time. I was like, well, is it a fiddle or a violin? And they're like, I don't know. You know, sometimes there are some differences in the instrument itself that are pretty small, like. If you want to be playing old time and playing a lot of double stops, for example, mm-hmm. strings at the same time, the bridge itself will not be as rounded on the top because if it's flatter, you can like hit more was, strings uh, yeah. at the same time with your bow. Mm-hmm. So a lot of old time fiddles will have like a, a flatter bridge, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can get a luthier to like make you a specific bridge for that um, situation. You know, you don't have to go out and seek out some like expensive fiddle you can sort of work with what you have a luthier yeah an instrument maker okay yeah (laughs) these are all all new terms for me (laughs) so uh when did you also pick up piano at that at that age as well yeah so i started piano at age seven with dennis desort in landisville he was an amazing teacher is an amazing teacher um and actually What's funny is he, you know, he was not a strict guy by any means. He was really laid back. I would be, I was a busy child. I loved so many things. And so I was always involved in violin and orchestra stuff and sports and hanging out with my friends. And piano was usually like one of the things to go. If I had like lacrosse season and I also had all these orchestras, I'd be like, Mr. Desort, I can't. I can't play this spring like I have too much stuff on my plate and he was always like that's all right as long as you're you know playing some kind of music that's that's awesome I'll see you when I see you and he was always just really supportive of like the ebb and flow of being a musician mm-hmm. and um, I got really into piano when I was probably around like fifth or sixth grade started to like learn some Chopin nocturnes and preludes because my grandmother on my dad's side was an amazing classical pianist. And I was Mm. like, I really want to surprise her and go to the nursing home and play some Chopin for her. Um, But then by the time I hit middle school, I got busy as ever. and, And I still played piano throughout that time, but it was like less seriously. Like violin, I was practicing getting ready for auditions. It started to become this pretty competitive thing. And piano was like this relaxing, extra like fun instrument that I played. And I never felt like I was great at at the piano, but I always felt really supported 
by Mr. Desort, and I started writing songs around that time, probably like, I feel like I've told people different things in interviews. <laughs> like, I, I remember doing like a little, um, like melodic composition when I was really young. But when I started writing like lyrics to songs, I think I was about in sixth grade. Um, and I loved writing them on the piano. And I would write these kind of like pop songs on the piano. I loved like Sarah Bareilles and right. Regina Spector. And so I'd try to write stuff like that. Um, and it was sort of like a secret. I didn't really like show anyone um, at the time. I, I would show like some of my friends and stuff, but I didn't, at the time I didn't think like, I'm going to be a songwriter. You know, it was just something I would sit down and do and have so much fun doing and it would just kind of come out. Um, so yeah, that's the piano is kind of an interesting story for me because I sort of diverged from it and then in this last year came back to it in mm. this really big way where I like just it felt like this like floodgate was open and I was like oh my gosh how how could I have ignored this instrument for so long I think this is actually my favorite instrument and I started taking jazz piano lessons in January um and you know I'm gonna be like side personing with my friend's band going on the road in September on the keyboard now and I'm like everyone I I see in Nashville like this always comes up in conversation I'm like I've just been loving the piano like I'm so excited about the piano these days <laughs> and uh yeah so that's like a big thing for me and I think part of that is just that like super super supportive like low stress environment that I learned the piano mm -hmm. under sort of cultivated this like this really long-term love for it I love the violin too it's a little bit more of a like charged thing because you know I've, I've been on a lot of different roles as a violinist I've had a lot of stressful times and big auditions and competitions that are like all tied in with that so it's 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 a balance for musicians to because you can work yourself to death and then hate an instrument. Absolutely. And there's also the I love this instrument because I've I've you know it's, it's some sort of trauma bonding almost. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't want to use the word trauma when I was talking about the violin just then, but I've I've used it before with my friends. I I feel like violinists and fiddle players especially like. There's like this intensity about that instrument. It's it's so competitive because there's it so is. many violinists and fiddle players. And there's the stereotype of the first chair violinist being the snooty pompous. Exactly. Person. It's like this. It's totally a thing. Um, not not them being a snooty pompous person, but yes, that being like this super competitive vibe. Um, so right now I'm sort of you know I I like to play fiddle, sort of for fun with my friends. I'll play as a side person on people's gigs. It's like funny because that's the instrument that I'm definitely like the most technically capable on. Mm. But these days I've had much more fun like playing the mandolin and playing the piano. And it's been cool to reflect too on like what are the roles of those instruments and, you know, maybe it's more about the role of the instrument and why I love it. Um, you know, piano and mandolin are both like very percussive mm. and – can fill in a lot of melodic roles and also chordal 
roles and really like fill in the gaps in a band. Yeah, that's something I've been learning a lot. Uh, something I had to put into practice when when I played at the jam session at Roots and Blues because I, as a pianist, I've only been playing. You know, there's there's two roles as a pianist. You can be the main person, or you can be the rhythm section. Yeah. And it was it has been a journey for me trying to figure out because uh, I'm I'm recent to the gigging life. Mm-hmm. I'm only a year in. And in fact, I think uh, last last August was when I got into when I started coming out to like open mics and all that jazz. But uh, I had throughout that year, I had to figure out okay, I'm playing with a guitarist. Mm-hmm. How am I gonna blend the piano? Okay, I can play bass. I can do that. Or mm-hmm. I can play like this, the licks all the way up here. Yeah. Um, but w- when a bass comes in, okay, now I can't. I have to lay off the bass, and I have to s- somewhat stay out of the middle range uh, because of, because of the guitar. And then I have yeah. to play in rhythm with both of them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then add in a, a violinist like Robin, mm-hmm. and I'm like, where do I belong? <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really cool challenge, I think, and that's something that I've been learning a lot in the last few years jamming with people and also in my piano lessons with my teacher now um we're kind of going through piece by piece the different ways to play and he's like okay this is how you this this is like um this voicing that you can use if you want to sit down at a piano and play the bass for yourself and play the melody and it has a cool voicing here's how you play like a rootless voicing and you sing along with yourself, here's how you play if there's a bass player in the trio. Mm. Here's how you play if, you know, there's a bass and a lead instrument and you just need to be rhythm. filling in yeah. the rhythmic comping, right? So, yeah, that, that stuff, I I need, I need a piano teacher like that. <laughs> he's, he's awesome. Wayne Horvitz, yeah. He's, he's a West Coast guy, um, so I take the lessons on Zoom. Oh, wow. Yeah. How's that been? It's been awesome. It works really well. I've actually been teaching a lot on Zoom myself during the pandemic, so I realized, like, you know, this this works well in most situations. There's times when, like, if you're trying to teach someone how to, like, hold the violin, that's really hard to do on right, Zoom. yeah. Probably not the best. But for piano, you know, he has this camera that shines down. I can see his keyboard. Um, yeah, so it definitely works. That's good. I, I've heard so many mixed opinions on, on like, Zoom teaching. For me, it doesn't work at all mm-hmm. because I've I've very much have ADHD. Yeah, and if I don't take my medicine, forget about it. It is. It can be extra distracting. Yeah, it, it can be more distracting than anything. Because I'm like, Definitely. well, I'm on my computer, so I can actually just do my own research of whatever I want. Yeah, or find it interesting at the point. Totally, totally. <laughs> it there are some drawbacks and and some good things, you know. So. I think a lot of people are returning to in-person lessons. I'm teaching in-person lessons again, but also have a lot of students that I had started during the pandemic and live in other places, and mm. then, you know, we're still continuing lessons. So what was it like to start teaching lessons at, in high school? Good question. Um, I, I was lucky enough to get this, this great job. It was basically a contractor through Hempfield, and I would teach summer lessons to all of the elementary school students. Mm. So it was it was a lot of lessons. It was the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders every summer. Um, you know, the teachers are on break for the year, and they set up this program. So Mrs. Lavender and Miss Myers, those were the ones usually who were 
in charge of it and would contact me and send me all these student names. Then I'd schedule them and go over to Landisville Intermediate Center and it would usually be three to four days a week from like eight to four and these little kids would come in for just 20 minute lessons. So it was, you know, fast pretty pace. intense, yeah. fast paced. Like I felt like it was like a doctor's office or something, you know, it's just like bam, bam, bam. Um, but it was really cool. That helped me develop my teaching skills so much. I remember the sure. first time I did that, um, it was the summer after 11th grade and I didn't really realize the importance of like developing a relationship with like the parents as well. So I just like sit in the room and wait for the kid to come in and teach them and then they leave. And then I got some feedback and a parent was like, where's the teacher? Like, I want to know what's going on. And I was like, mm. oh my gosh, of course. So then obviously I, you know, with all the feedback every year, I felt like I got to improve a lot as a teacher and interfacing with the parents and learning how to um, really like try to meet each kid where they were at. Some of them were just really doing it for fun. Some of them were really, really serious and everybody had different needs. So um, that was a really, really amazing privilege to have that job because I got to have usually at least 50 students a summer. There were some students I had like 60 or 70 kids and, you know, it just spread them out over the course of the week. And they're all so cute and so sweet. <laughs> and that helped me realize, like, I, I do love working with kids. Um, so, yeah, that was that was awesome. You mentioned uh, the aspect of knowing the parents as well. That's something I didn't – well, I've always kind of realized that, but I didn't realize how much of that is important to, like, the parents. Um, I teach children how to swim. Mm. And um, their parents are always – always watching because at that point they're sitting at the edge of the pool while they're watching their kid uh either panic or do really well you know yeah. what i mean so and it's always i it's funny because i like to push kids because that's my philosophy mm -hmm. of teaching it's like if they mess up they learn mm -hmm. more and um so i'll let i'll like when they're trying to float on their back i i won't completely let go but I'll just, like, have my hands, like, right underneath them. And if they go under, I'll let them go under for, like, a little bit, then pull them right back mm -hmm. up. And then I'll tell them what went wrong. But the parents, some parents are, like, helicoptery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what happened? And I'm like, listen, it's okay. He's Can't you see? He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm still, I feel like I'm still honing my teaching method. Um, mm. I have had both extremely strict teachers who scare me and right. really chill teachers who give me space to explore what I want to do. But then maybe I'm like, I didn't get as good as I could have, you know, but it's a balance. It, it is a balance. It really is. Cause you don't want to be the strict teacher that kicks you out of music entirely yeah. or kicks you out of swimming entirely for that yeah. matter. Um, and so I'm always making sure I'm always adjusting my teaching method. Cause if I know if, if it works, in the case where it's like slow increments, then I'll, I'll work that way. But if I know if if they'll if they make one mistake once and then they figure it out and they don't do it again, then I'll do I'll do it that way. Yeah, yeah. Even even if it's a little scary for them, I know it works for them. Totally. And it's, it's so different yeah. for every kid. I think the core of my philosophy is just trying to figure out what inspires each kid mm. because for some kids that might mean a more rigorous 
um, check in and more, more, more homework and yeah. more accountability. And for some, that might mean like having them work on compositions and giving them some space and yeah that was that was the biggest thing problem of my high school years is i hated homework i i wouldn't do the homework but i'd still ace every exam because i i you know i would know i would do it on my own i just didn't have time to do homework and that's what i really appreciate about college is that they kind of give you uh at least for composition majors they say all right uh make your own music and i'm like oh i can do whatever i want for my homework, yeah, I'll do. It's awesome. <laughs> so I I really excelled through that way. But I know others, other composition majors, was like, no, I need like a, a framework, at right, least. Right, right, right. Yeah, everyone, everyone's really different in that way. Yeah, and it's a exercise, definitely a mental exercise, a good one to uh, for teachers especially because every kid is different, every person is different, and having to adjust yourself in the moment. And knowing, learning what to do. Absolutely. It's just a one big social exercise. <laughs> so what did you decide to do for college, if at all? So <laughs> that's a funny question, yeah. I I went to Temple University, and my first year I felt very confused and very lost, and I had no clue why I was there. Mm. And I was undeclared liberal arts. I took like a psychology class and a Spanish class and um, what else did I take? A journalism class. I was like, maybe I, I really like writing. Maybe I'll do journalism. Um, and then in my one Spanish class, someone came in that fall and, and kind of advertised this program they have in the spring that's in a, a Latin American studies immersion semester where you're in part of this cohort of like, 20 or 30 students, you all take the same classes together all semester, and it's all in Spanish, kind of sink or swim, mm. but they're very like lenient with the grading because some of the people hadn't taken a lot of Spanish, but it was pretty much like, you know, take this if you want to get really, really fluent in Spanish, and then you go to Costa Rica for three weeks, and when they came in, I was like, oh, I have to do that. I... I don't even know what else I would sign up for in the spring. Like, I'm definitely going to do that. So I signed up for that and really absolutely loved it. And then kind of near the end of that semester, I was like, I can't stay in school. I didn't really know exactly why or what was wrong. But, um, you know, there w- you know, there wasn't anything wrong. I just, I just didn't, didn't want to be in school at the time. Um, and realized I loved languages so much. And so I thought, you know what? Always really wanted to learn French. <laughs> That's my my heritage. My grandfather's from France. Um, but I didn't grow up speaking it. So I made plans and I didn't go back to school. And in the fall, I went to Canada and like worked in some hostels and just like studied French all the time tried to talk to people. Obviously, it's Quebecois. It's different, but there were also right. a lot of like French people staying there at the time. Um, and also while I was there, it was just the first time I ever had free time that I wasn't in a school system and there weren't homework assignments due, as you say, and mm-hmm. like things that I had to do. And I was basically in charge of my time. I had to like 
help at the hostel, but then you help for a few hours every day. You get your room and board, and then you have free time. And I was like, well, I just want to be like studying French and writing songs. <laughs> and so I, I wrote a lot of songs that fall. Um, also had some recent inspiration from a music camp I had gone to that June before. It was like I had my freshman year of college and then immediately went to this music camp called Miles of Music, which is a songwriting camp in um, on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. And my sister had been teaching there, and she's like, you would love it. So I went there, and that's kind of when I was like, oh, my gosh. I hadn't shown my songs to people for so long. I didn't play a lot of music my first year in college. Um, and I felt sort of, like, reinvigorated and um, really excited about music after that camp again. So that was sort of what I think pushed me to be um, – pushing my limits as a writer again and trying to write new songs. And then while I was on that um, gap time in Canada, I wrote a lot and it was cool. I met a lot of people who I'd play for and obviously they didn't know me. They didn't know my history mm. and they were like, we love this. Like we'd love to listen to this. You should record it. And it, it always means a lot when someone who doesn't know you at all says that, you know, I think I grew up just like so attached to like being a part of my family where, you know, people know that my siblings play, people know my older sister was in a band and um, that can be sort of taxing like those comparisons and expectations. Yeah, trying to follow in the footsteps. And, and so it was pretty cool to like travel alone for the first time, meet people and have them just like see me and my songs for just what they are without any context. Um, and I was like, wow, I really want to do that. I, I should record these. So then I went home in the spring. I took a few classes at Millersville to see if I maybe wanted to transfer somewhere. Took a philosophy class, a, <laughs> a French class, and um, something else. I forget. Um, and worked a job doing, like, elderly home care and um, did a yoga teacher training and ran a Kickstarter to make my EP so that was sort of like the beginning of my career being like okay I want to show my music to people I'm going to mm. record this I want to produce this I want to put this out there I want to start playing my songs for people that's that's awesome that's very it's very varied very varied <laughs> very varied <laughs> I feel like that's a story of my life. I just love so many things. I am I can't just put my energy in one place, you know? Mm. I've been constantly interested in in everything. I would come home from school and be like, Mom, Dad, I want to try out for the fall play. And then in the winter, I'd be like, you know, I want to try basketball this winter. <laughs> and like, I would just be trying it all because I just, I don't know. I, I love learning. I love new things. I've always been really curious. Um, and by the way, I did actually go back to Temple after that gap year. I realized, you know, I want to have a degree. I just, I want to have that experience. And I really liked the Spanish department. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and um, finished my degree, studied abroad, and got a Spanish literature degree. That's awesome. And did like a French certificate. Um, and that was 
one of my favorite things was actually getting to like immerse myself in French classes. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, I met, you know, a lot of my language goals in college. And I'm glad that I did that then because, I mean, especially that I did a lot of traveling because, you know, I graduated in 2019 and I know some friends who graduated then and they're like, okay, now I'm going to go travel. And then they had to come home during the pandemic. Mm. And, you know, obviously now you're able to travel again and stuff. But at the time right. I was like, wow, I'm, I feel like I traveled enough to, to last me a while. I feel really glad that I followed that instinct. And also, you know, how your brain changes and it's easier to learn a language when you're younger. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad I put that work in when I did so that I have that and, you know, I also think languages are really related to music and mm-hmm. creativity. So so how much of the languages have you retained since then? I think quite a bit. I actually, um, I had a chance to go on this trip with my boyfriend's family in May. And um, I was lucky enough to get to go um, to France. And it was the first, I had been to France once before when I was younger to visit. Um, some of my dad's family and I was in sixth grade but this is the first time I was there after I had worked on French Mm. and I was able to communicate with people and you know form sentences and have conversations and you know my French is not great but I almost feel like I can tell it's like in my blood you know that I'm like meant to be speaking it Um, as much as I've studied Spanish I think I I'm like semi-fluent you know to the point where i'm obviously not a native speaker i don't like currently keep up with it that well so i forget vocab and stuff but i can definitely communicate really well and that's what they emphasized in that program that i took was like it doesn't matter if your grammar is perfect it doesn't matter if you mess up communication is the goal is the goal communication and connection and like i think my interest in you know just communicating in general and learning about other cultures is what like got me so excited about that program specifically um so I took what they taught me and applied it to French and I think I really do feel like I have those two languages like under my belt pretty well to the point where I could you know have a conversation with someone I'd maybe need to get out dictionary for French (laughs) especially but that's funny I've always heard the French are very particular about their uh language they are. You know, as soon as, as soon as I'm like, well, actually, my grandfather's from France. There's like this whole, you know, I feel like the wall okay, goes away yeah. and they're like, okay. Okay, fine. You're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> I, I, I've heard that the French can be very stingy or very uh, uh, particular. I guess particular is the best word yeah, to use. Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of patriotism you know they're they're very specific about wanting to like retain their culture and keep it very french and (laughs) you know obviously there's there's a lot to be a lot of perspectives on how good or bad right of course of course (laughs) right but it's something i've i've noticed so um what was it like for your collegiate career what why did you 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 do spanish literature but now you do music yeah why how maybe a better question Mm, how is a good question so i think you know how they say like 
if you go for a liberal arts degree, you can do anything. I don't know if you've heard that. I've never heard that. But okay, I well, have now. <laughs> my my teachers in high school would always say like, don't worry so much about what you go to college for because especially if you go to liberal arts or maybe this is just what they told us in the liberal arts school. I think it might have been like the liberal arts college message to try to like brand themselves and be like, we're worth it, you know. Right. Um but basically it's like you learn all of these um what's the word? The like um transferable skills right that are like yes life skills and communication skills and writing skills and skills to interface with people skills to like if you were to run a business like you know all these projects that sort of like get you ready for that type of thing um so obviously my like speaking french and spanish doesn't relate hugely to being a musician but i think the truth of it is just like that's just what I was so interested in at the time. I think perhaps I was a bit burnt out from all of my classical music stuff. Mm. And I what I didn't understand, like I remember telling my friends, I was like, I think I wanna like go to college for like while I was in school, while I was at Temple. I was like, maybe I wanna transfer into Boyer and do jazz violin. Like I knew I loved jazz. I knew I loved music. But there was something that didn't feel right at the time. I was like, I wasn't, didn't feel like prepared for that leap or it like wasn't the right thing. I was like, no, like violin, like I don't want to go to college for violin. Like there's something about that instrument. Like I don't want to be doing it right now. And I also felt like, you know, after that gap year, I, I released my EP and I started gigging and doing shows. And I realized I was like, I love doing this and I don't actually necessarily need to go to school to mm. do this. And I was like kind of looking back at my life and being like, wow, like everything I've done, all the music I've dedicated myself to is under my belt now. And I feel like my, you know, my music reading skills, my ability to like um, learn music by ear and write charts for songs um like all those skills I have from just being so committed to my music growing up um <laughs> senior year of high school I even like in the semester I was gonna take a physics class and then I was like you know what I don't need that to graduate I already took like AP bio or whatever <laughs> so I look I was like what do I really want to take and I was like oh I'm going to take AP music theory and a drawing class like every other day. And I remember being like, is AP music theory or physics going to be more useful to be in my life? And mm. at the time I was kind of new. I was like, music theory. I just feel like even though I knew I wasn't going to school for, um, for music, I knew I, I wanted to drive more into that. So I had a great time taking that class. It came very easily to me. It's the only AP test I got a five on. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I got plenty of fours on the other ones. But, like, it's it's funny when I look back at the AP scores and I'm like, you know, it kind of shows me, like, what I'm meant to be doing almost right. in a way. <laughs> Worked really hard on, like, these other classes, maybe got a three or a four. Didn't work as hard in this music class. And then, you know, it just comes 
experience comes more easily because I've, but but it's like you know I had put all the work in from age five right, to learning to music that. and being being around it. So, all that being said, I feel like I sort of have a um, an accumulation of a lot of education in music that that sets me up for a career in music, even though I didn't go to school for it, if that makes mm. sense. Um, and I was, you know, I had, I had a good scholarship at Temple, so I didn't, I'm lucky to not feel like I like paid a lot of money for this degree that I don't use or something. Like it felt like a really, like a, a good a privilege to be able to go study something I was interested in and then be like, all right, I can be, you know, um, a versatile language speaker in whatever setting I am in for the rest of my life. And now what I want to do. Um, I did try to do this like AmeriCorps job at an immigration center where I would be using my Spanish. And it just felt, it was really, the best way I can say it, it was, it was very out of alignment. And I had, I had moved to Boston after graduating from Temple because all of my friends went to music school in Boston. And I was like, had been visiting all the time during my senior year. So I pretty much went up there to be around my friends, to be around the like Berkeley and NEC music scenes. But I was like, I got, I'll get this job to like, so I can go move there. And it was, it was just not the right thing for me. And so I quit and I started freelancing. And that was the moment where I was like, what? can I, what, what do I have to offer to this world? You know, like what skills do I have? And I was like, well, I've done a lot of music teaching. That's something I can do to like at least pay the bills and be on my feet. And I, and I like it. So I got a lot of students there and then started gigging. Then the pandemic hit, of course, I had to sort of turn to zoom teaching and all that and not gig for a while, but yeah. And it was it was cool to be in Boston and be in that community of friends who all are pursuing something similar. And it was kind of like I went there to like pretend that I was in music school. I was like, oh, <laughs> I miss the boat, but I can at least go hang out and go to these jams and like hang around all my friends who study music. And I'd see their assignments, the kind you're talking about, your composition assignments, yeah. and I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I would love to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, oh, like I do love academic stuff and I enjoyed like writing papers and stuff in college, but I'm like, what the heck? Like I should have been like doing this stuff, scribbling on staff paper and make right like making songs. Like, what was I doing? Um, but I don't regret my path because it brought me to where I am now. And yeah. I, I still sometimes think about going to get a master's in something music related just because I do love the act of studying and I'm really enjoying like studying the piano again. And there are some, there are like um, the tech related parts of music, the, mm -hmm. like the engineering and production side of things where I love producing, I love producing my music and I'm like, I think I could do this for other people, but I want, I want to have some more tech skills so that I'm really really you able. Know you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh 
you're now based in Nashville. Mm-hmm. What made the move there? So my boyfriend and I were living together in Boston. Pandemic hits. We stay in Boston for a while and we're like, this is an expensive place to live. <laughs> if there's is. no reason to be here, because at that point he had just graduated all our friends, like the whole quote unquote scene sort of dissolved for at least a moment when the pandemic hit, people went home. Yeah. Um, there weren't jams, there weren't shows, there weren't um, in-person classes. And so I knew at the time when I had moved to Boston, I was like, all my friends here are sort of like on the cusp of graduating. I know I might not be here long, but I want to seize the moment and go to this place that is so inspiring to me. So I went there kind of knowing I wasn't going to be there long. I, If the pandemic hadn't hit, I would have stayed longer. I was getting prepared to re-sign my lease in Jamaica Plain. I like absolutely love that part of Boston. It's so sweet. Loved my roommates. Had the greatest living situation. Um, ended up moving with my boyfriend when the pandemic hit. And then, you know, we were like, okay, this isn't going to be the most like fruitful place for us to be like quarantining, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, Especially at toll rolls everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my most expensive part of Boston was the toll rolls. Oh my God. You lived in Boston? Uh, we went, we, we vacationed. No. Uh, well, it's a funny story actually. So, uh, for an April Fool's prank, um, I switched my birthday to April 1st just to see how many people I would trick. <laughs> and I happened to trick some of my very best friends. And they're like, what are we going to do for your birthday? And so I kind of just like rolled with it. Like on Facebook, you <laughs> yeah, turned like, April 1st. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of just rolled with it. And so we planned on this Boston trip for my birthday. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so. And when did they figure it out? When we got there, because I I didn't want to tell them, because I, I was like, well, we planned it, and then we're gonna have like a bunch of fun, and I was like, and so uh, on April 1st, I was like, by the way, April Fools, and they're like, no, you didn't. So and were I they was, mad? They were, kind of, <laughs> they were mad. They were a little bit mad, um, but I think I think it wore off. I I don't know, um, but we we had a great time. Uh, we got on each other's nerves a little bit by the end of it, but. You know, that's, that's what, you know, friends do that. That's a hilarious story. But yeah, wow. The toll rolls were the most expensive part of going to Boston. Yeah, the tolls are expensive. You know, I think a lot of people um, were realizing, you know, if they had the ability to not be in a city, it was like, it's worth it, it was nice to go somewhere where you had space to like hang out outside and have a yard. Mm-hmm. Um, rent was much more affordable in Nashville. My oldest sister lives there, Maya, and my boyfriend, Sam, his older brother, who's a mandolin player, lives there with his wife. They're both musicians. And um, so we had some family. And also, it's just one of those places that after people go to school in Boston, they usually move to like New York or Nashville or maybe L.A. Those are like the big cities people will go to. So... um a lot of our friends sort of started that like mass exodus mm-hmm. down to uh, Nashville. So it feels like a really good time to be there. A lot of our friends who were in Boston have ended up now in Nashville over the last year or so. Um, there's 
you know, the weather is nice. There's space for outdoor stuff. Obviously, that's less of an issue now, but it's still nice to be somewhere where you can be outdoors if someone has COVID and you can't go inside or whatever. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much why. Just like the the reality of rent prices and um, like adult problems, adult <laughs> problems. Yeah, yeah. And these are real problems that adults have to face with. And yep. That was the one thing that surprised me when I went to Nashville uh, for a road trip. It's just how affordable everything was. Like right? even gas. Yep. Yeah. It was like two eighty five when I went down there. Yeah, I mean, comparing that to Boston, New York, or L A, it's like. It's an easy it's, it's choice. It's an easy choice, right, yep. especially if you're not big, Yeah. right? Yep. Um, so what was it like to – here's a question. At what point did you do the uh, the jazz, the John Lennon international writing? Oh, good question. When I did my EP, I got really excited about, like, I could, like, submit this to contests. These are, like, good recordings. So I think it was that year or maybe in – Several of the years after that, I'd write songs and submit them to that. Um, so that was maybe a year or so after I released my EP. It was kind of trying to learn ways to put stuff out there and, like, have more visibility. Mm -hmm. um, you know, contests are they're, – they're a little silly sometimes, but they can <laughs> give you extra visibility if you're able to win. You sometimes will, yeah. you get great – Prizes like one of my friends won this contest and got to have a whole album recorded for free. Um, that's the kind of stuff that that you can win. And um, like the John Lennon, like finalist prize is like twenty thousand dollars. That's for like the winner, you know. Mm -hmm. And they have like three finalists in each category. Um, I'll probably submit to that again because um, I feel like I got close a few times, and I'm I'm proud of that. Um, but yeah. That's good. It's something I've I didn't realize how extensive. Uh, like, there's so many competitions. There's so many. <laughs> there's so many. I didn't realize how many there were until like just recently, where you can like literally submit your song to so many different places. Yeah. And get gain notoriety through that, mm -hmm. and gain. Uh, not that it's easy, but you can do some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Some some of that's worth it to just put yourself out there and see what happens. You know, I have some friends who did, um, you know, not close friends, but people I knew in Boston who did American Idol last spring. And oh, yeah. even if they didn't make it to the end or win or whatever, maybe yeah, they made it to, TV. like, top 20 or top 12. And you gain, like, a lot of followers yeah. and stuff. You know, people start to know who you are. So... We had a local from Salisbury go on to America's Got Talent, and just the entire city was like, yeah! Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> exciting when you know someone who goes on that. Yeah. Thing. So you have, we have some of your songs. We're kind of running out our radio time. Um, would you like to introduce some of your songs? Yeah, sure. The first one we have is Baby in the Shade. Tell me about this one. Okay, so this one, <laughs> this one is one of the oldest songs that I've written that I like still show people. I was probably, I was like 15 when I wrote this melody and the first verse. And then I didn't finish it. And a couple years later, I I really liked this boy. I was very interested in this boy. 
and we like had a nice time together one time and then I was asking his friends like why hasn't he been like responding to me I'm like so confused like why didn't you <laughs> like me and they were like actually he's going through a super hard time he is like very depressed and having mm. a lot of like mental health stuff going on um so he doesn't know it but I wrote this song for him um I finished it out as a sort of like you know as if if he were to hear it or someone going through something like that were to hear it it would maybe make them feel like a little bit better hopefully that's awesome. Well, this is Baby in the Shade by Nina DeVitri.
Stella's Baby in the Shade by Nina DeVitri. Tell me about the uh, arrangement and composition process of that. <laughs> okay, this one I can't really take credit for because um, that songwriting camp that I went to, they have this really awesome class called Band in a Box where you basically bring a song you wrote, you bring a chart, and you bring it to the band, and they just like play it live with you. And so I brought this song, and that was the first time I ever heard my song with a band. It's not this recording, but um, right. <laughs> that was the first time I ever heard my um, songs with a band, and I w- my mind was blown. And you know, the guy who played saxophone on this track was the guy who um, was there playing in the band at the camp, mm. and um, I had never imagined my music with like horns and a full band and drums and stuff and so I really based this arrangement and production off of what I learned there you know I got um I got a recording of that from the camp and just was like this is amazing they the horn players there did the little like and I was like that's an amazing hook you know gave them horn arranging credit on the EP and stuff because I like definitely took a lot of inspiration from that experience for this song. That's awesome. We have one more, uh, Broken Cities. Talk about that one. Yeah, so this one is, I wrote this, I think, that same camp. I was sitting on the docks at this lake and just wrote it on guitar. Um, and it was right after I had decided to take a gap year and leave Philly. Um, so this song is sort of all about the, the darkness that I was feeling surrounding being sort of trapped, feeling Mm. trapped in the city and where I was. Um, so yeah, I think that's all I'll say about that one. This is Broken Cities by Nina DeVitri. won't fly away when I just want to find my way broken cities take my eyes with right fluorescent please but dimmer vision satisfies the ones who cannot see they just want to fly away they just want to find
gosh i know michael burton michael burton the trumpet player yeah tell me about the composition process for uh that was by the way that was broken cities yes tell me about that that composition process so that one i came up with the horn part that i wanted um and i had a friend andy mowett who's a lancaster guy help me write out the horn arrangement because i didn't have like finale or anything like that (laughs) um so we got together um, he put some stuff down, and then I was like, all right, I want it to do, like, this hook and whatever. So he helped me with the horn arrangements. Um, and that one just sort of came to be in a way. Mm. Like, I knew I wanted drums and bass. All the songs on the EP we tracked first with um, guitar, drums, and bass. And then I overdubbed the vocals, and then I added um, – you know, someone playing, like, keys, people playing horns, like, that stuff afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was the process on that one. Real quick, for those who don't know, including me, what does o- overdub mean? Oh, yeah, an overdub <laughs> is just, like, um, extra tracking that you would do after the oh, fact. So, duh. like, of a course, vocal yeah. overdub, you know, you have the main track, and then you go in to do a dub or an overdub, and you will just... The engineer will put the track on, and you'll sing over what's already there. So it's just not live. Gotcha. So gotcha, a lot of recording that. happens that way. It's oh, yeah. It's pretty rare these days that you get, like, a totally – I mean, there's live albums, you know. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, it doesn't happen as much. I'd love to do something like that at some point, but I also love all the technology at our disposal <laughs> that you can yeah. like really work to get something to sound the way you want it to. You know? Yeah. Okay. I've been o- I've been overdubbing stuff without knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> So, uh, well, yeah, well, um, we're running out of radio time. Where can people find you, uh, gigs and such? So I just had some gigs this past weekend that was super fun. Um, and this Friday, I'm going to be at Phantom Power in Millersville. Um, I'm playing a gig with my dad, and I'm so, oh, so excited. Awesome. He's an amazing musician, and I love playing music with him. We haven't gotten to play a gig together for a long time. So this is going to be quite different than when I play with my band. I probably won't really be doing um, as much of my, like, original stuff. He's just, like, he is the American Songbook. Like, he knows all the best songs. And so I've just kind of been like, yeah, like, let me know what you want to play. And um, it'll be more of the vibe of what I grew up with. You know, what we just heard is sort of my, like, adult creations and when I was little um you know we sat around the fire and played and everything like that so that's what it'll be like on Friday I'll be playing some mandolin and fiddle and singing harmonies with him and stuff awesome and that'll be six to eight right yeah six to eight I'm pretty sure yeah so if you want to check her out there be sure to do that if you want to see her music because for whatever reason Facebook doesn't if it's copyrighted material Mm -hmm. it'll it'll match it I assume it's copyrighted Yep. Right. It, it'll match copyright and it, it'll mute the section of, of the of the part. Oh. However, Spotify and uh, all the other podcasting platforms won't do that because you're right here. You get you gave me the music. You right. have you gave me permission to right. use it. Right. But Facebook doesn't. I, it'll do that with my own music. Wow. Yeah. It'll mute my own music. Oh, my gosh. Even though I you know, I've literally created it. Um, so if you want to hear what her sound, songs sound like, please uh, go over to her Spotify. Yeah. She has all those EPs out on her Spotify, which is Nina DeVitri. Yep, just my name. And, uh, you know, or Apple Music or wherever you stream. And yeah. if you want to buy it, you can go on Bandcamp and buy a copy. And Yeah. Yeah. And is that still Nina DeVitri or is that Nina DeVitri music on Bandcamp? Um, it's just Nina DeVitri. Okay. Yeah. So if but if you want to check out her Facebook, it's Nina DeVitri Music. <laughs> yeah, so you can tell me apart from my personal profile. <laughs> and if you want to check out all of her all of her updates and all that jazz, check out her Facebook and her Instagram at Nina.dv. And with all that said, you can follow us on the Story Podcast. Corey Rosen, search that up anywhere you are on Facebook, Spotify. Instagram, the underscore story underscore podcast. You can find out all of our future upcoming guests on there, including tomorrow we're going to have a local studio group called the Kaleidoscope. Cool. You ever heard of them? No. They're, they're pretty cool people. They uh, produce uh, music for local bands around here, so I'm really excited to talk to both of them. That'll be the first time I've had two people on the show at once. That's so, awesome. So that would be, that'd be an interesting uh, episode for sure. If you want, really want to support us, please do be sure to like, subscribe, share. And if you are feeling extra generous, be sure to uh, check out our merchandise. We have stickers on sale, and we have shirts and hoodies with the first 50 guests on the back, including Nina. With all that said, we're going to get you guys back to the radio. And if you want to follow us, we'll continue our conversation live on Facebook.com forward slash The Story Corey Rosen.